RTHK, the news at one with Barry O'Rourke. The headlines. A lawmaker urges the government to spell out the details for the reopening of the border with the mainland this coming Sunday. The Housing Authority's Finance Committee dropped records a drop in the consolidated surplus for this financial year. And US Republicans failed to elect a House Speaker for the second day on the trot. The Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office says people will not have to do a PCR test at the border when quarantine-free travel to the mainland resumes on Sunday. But they will need to present a negative PCR test result within 48 hours before the trip and fill in a health declaration form. On its website, the office says travellers who have a fever or declare they have a problem have to be tested for COVID. Those who test positive but are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms can quarantine at home and the more serious cases should be sent for treatment. Legislator Gary Zhang says the government needs to clarify as soon as possible the details of Sunday's resumption of quarantine-free travel with the mainland. Mr Zhang, who previously worked for the MTR Corporation, said it was reasonable that the high-speed rail to Guangdong would not be ready by Sunday, as it needed to take into account mainland train timetables. He said he wasn't concerned about crowded border crossings given that passenger flow between Guangdong and Hong Kong could previously handle 400,000 people in a single direction. But he said a rumoured quota of around 50,000 a day was too conservative, especially if offered on a first-come, first-served basis. If according to different sources, the initial quota will be around 30,000 to 50,000, I think that's a little bit too conservative. And the first-come, first-served model will bring about a lot of problems because a large number of citizens will rush to the website to compete for places. And this will definitely give stalkers an opportunity to take advantage of. Another lawmaker, Yang Wen-Kit, says to avoid the scalping of quota tickets, a ballot system would be better than offering a first-come, first-served quota. However, speaking on RTHK, he said he thinks the rumoured quota of 50,000 would be enough. If the quota is at 50,000, it's enough, based on previous demand, because there are around some 20,000, 30,000 people a day who are taking part in a draw for quarantine hotels in Shenzhen. So if you allow 50,000 people to travel a day, that's basically enough to meet demand. The chairwoman of the Travel Industry Council, Jiana Tsu, says she estimates that about 10 mainland tour groups will be coming to Hong Kong every day next month after quarantine-free cross-border travel resumes. She told an RTHK programme she believes arrival figures from the mainland won't be too high initially, noting there will be a quota for travellers and manpower in the trade needs to be stepped up. She said there will be more tour groups from the mainland after the Lunar New Year. The Hong Kong Seamen's Union, meanwhile, says ferries to nearby mainland cities should be ready for operation once restrictions are lifted. Its chairman, Cheung Sai Teng, told an RTHK programme that two ferry routes between Hong Kong and Macau may have only five ferries ready to go, compared to more than 30 ferries in the past. He says it takes time to resume full capacity because services have been suspended for quite a while. To other news, the Hong Kong Housing Authority's Finance Committee have recorded a consolidated surplus of approximately $5.7 billion for 2022 to 2023, compared to last year's $9.8 billion, due to fewer home ownership scheme flats being assigned and an increase in relief measures. Chairman Chang Ka Lok says the low surplus this year will not affect rental prices. 
think that it is really reflection of that this year that we have really less of the HOS facts being assigned and then uh, so therefore that uh, we have really uh, received uh, less uh, proceeds coming from the HOS. The other is the last couple of years the uh, Housing Authority have a lot of the relief measures and then to really to help out the tenants therefore that there is really effect on the uh, surplus. The U.S. House of Representatives remains paralysed after its Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, again failed to secure enough support to become Speaker. Hardliners have been opposing him for a second day. This update from the BBC's Gary O'Donoghue. There are around 20 rebels, Trumpian rebels on the right of Kevin McCarthy's party who are implacably opposed to him, despite the numerous concessions he's given them over the last few days. Even with intervention of Donald Trump himself, who urged his supporters to vote for Mr McCarthy today, that made no difference whatsoever. To mangle the words of one of Western philosophy's best-known thinkers, doing the same thing over and over again, well, it might not be the definition of idiocy when you expect a different outcome, but it is the definition of highly embarrassing. France has agreed to step up its military support for Ukraine by supplying armoured fighting vehicles. Separately, President Biden has confirmed that the United States is considering sending Bradley infantry fighting vehicles. John Kirby is the White House national security spokesman. We are working in lockstep with the Ukrainians to support them on the battlefield every single day, and we've, we're doing it at record speed. Uh, the war has evolved over time in terms of what their needs are. We're trying to stay apace with those needs and capabilities, and we'll do that going forward. And the U.S. has signaled its intent to disrupt the production of Iranian drones. Russia has been using them intensively to hit civilian targets in Ukraine. The BBC's Sasha Schlichter has this report. Drones are cheap. Russia can afford to send swarms of them towards a single power plant, overwhelming costly air defences. Iran has been supplying drones with impunity in their thousands. But now the US administration has calculated that this could be disrupted by targeting Western companies whose parts are being used in Iranian drones. The White House says it's now talking to these companies and assessing further export controls aimed at restricting Tehran's access to technologies used in drones. The Vatican says 195,000 people paid homage to the Pope Emeritus, Benedict, during the three days he lay in state in St. Peter's Basilica. The late pontiff's body will now be sealed in a coffin, along with symbolic items. Pope Francis will preside over a funeral mass today. The Foreign Secretary at the Vatican, Archbishop Paul Gallagher, indicated that Benedict's death could in time allow Pope Francis to consider his own retirement. If we had three popes... That would be a little bit difficult to manage, I would say. But now that Pope Benedict has, has gone to the Lord, I think that Pope Francis will stick to those principles that he's established, that he will continue in this ministry as long as he believes and sees that he is capable. Researchers believe they've cracked how our hunter-gatherer ancestors used a sophisticated system of marks and cave paintings to help transmit information about the life cycles of the animals they depended on for prey. The apparent breakthrough developed from a theory proposed by a London furniture conservator. The BBC's Danny Eberhardt has the story. Archaeologists have long puzzled over a series of dots, lines and marks shaped like a letter Y placed on or near the often beautiful depictions of Paleolithic animals in European caves. Creatures like mammoths, bison and horses. Ben Bacon, an enthusiast, studied thousands of images, pursuing a theory the marks could depict a lunar calendar linked to the animal's life cycles. 
The branching Y sign, he postulated, could mean giving birth. Bringing in academics and using statistical analysis, the team has shown striking correlations between the sequences and the months that such animals would have mated and given birth. They argue it's the first proto-writing system in human history. British author Faye Weldon has died at the age of 91. Perhaps best known for her 1983 work, The Life and Loves of a She-Devil, Faye Weldon published more than 30 novels, as well as short stories, articles and screenplays for television. Her witty stories often drew on her own colourful private life. She divorced one of her husbands after he ran off with an astrological therapist. Looking back on Faye Weldon's life, here's the BBC's Richard Galpin. Daughter of a doctor and a romantic novelist, she spent her early childhood in New Zealand before returning to Britain just after the war. She attended St Andrews University where she got an MA in economics. Her first job was as a Foreign Office civil servant. Later she went into advertising and took up fiction while pregnant in 1967. Her stories, mainly of women and their fraught and often bizarre relationships with men, have become bestsellers around the world. In business news, the retail giant Amazon is to cut more than 18,000 jobs, a higher figure than previously announced. That's about 6% of its workforce. Most roles are going in Amazon stores or in their services and technology teams across a number of countries. To sports, and we start in the English Premier League, where Spurs kept pace with the top four by thumping Crystal Palace 4-1 at Selhurst Park. They moved to within two points of fourth place Manchester United. Here's the Spurs captain, Harry Kane, who scored twice. It's an easy game and uh, coming off the back of the two results we had before it, uh, it was great uh, to see that mentality and uh, that bounce back. But now it's about uh, using this momentum in, in the games ahead. So it's going to be tough, but we just have to, to keep working. Nathan Jones and his bottom of the table side Southampton were booed off the pitch after they were beaten 1-0 by Nottingham Forest, who are now out of the relegation zone. Jones hasn't picked up a single point in four matches since taking charge at St Mary's. Something has to change quickly, like, and, and we need a result, we need something to go for us, we need a bit of luck. We've had to work so hard for a goal, like, really, really hard, and, and teams are not gifting us anything. So we have to re stop doing that and then just be a little bit better. And look, that, that's all on me, that's, you know, I, I solely take the blame for that. Danny Ings got the equaliser for Aston Villa in their one-all draw at home to Wolves, while West Ham and Leeds finished 2 all at Elland Road. In Italy, Inter handed Napoli their first league defeat of the season as the Serie A resumed following a seven-week break for the World Cup. Edin Dzeko scored in Inter's 1-0 win at the San Siro. Earlier, third-place Juventus left it late to beat Cremonese 1-0. Second-place AC Milan kept up their challenge with a 2-1 win at Salernitana. The Italian football journalist Nicky Baldini says it was a strange win for Milan. Milan were, were really in control of it, it felt like, for... 80 minutes or so, they started very quickly. Rafael out um, opened the scoring after 10 minutes. Sandro Tonali had them tuning up after a quarter of an hour. And it felt like plain sailing from there. Even Fikayo Tomori had a goal disallowed as well. So it felt like a very comfortable position right up until Bernardzoli gets a goal back in the 83rd minute. And then you saw that almost inevitable, I suppose, wobble that you get when you've been in a comfortable position and you concede a goal late and you're just not quite sure. But Overall, I think it was still a very sort of confident return after the World Cup. Really positive for Milan to get that goal right away from Miao. The Buffalo Bills say their player, Damar Hamlin, is showing signs of improvement but remains in critical condition, having suffered a cardiac arrest during an NFL game on Monday. 
The safety collapsed during the first quarter of the contest between the Bills and the Bengals in Cincinnati. The NFL says the Bills-Bengals game, a key game for playoff seeding, will not be completed this week and might never be finished. The Bills play their final regular season game this coming Sunday at home to the New England Patriots. That game and the rest of the league's final week fixtures are still on schedule. More than half a century after appearing in the Oscar-winning film Romeo and Juliet, the actors in the two leading roles have filed a lawsuit against Paramount Pictures accusing the studio of sexually exploiting them. Leonard Whiting was 16 and Olivia Hussey just 15 years old when they filmed a scene in which they both appeared naked. Their complaint states that they'd been given assurances by the director, Franco Zeffirelli, that no nudity would appear in the film. Here's the BBC's Colin Patterson. Romeo and Juliet was nominated for Best Picture at the 1968 Oscars. Leonard Whiting and Olivia Hussey both won Golden Globes for playing the star-crossed lovers. Then have my lips a sin that they have took? Sin from my lips? Oh, trespass sweetly urged. Give me my sin again. Now, 55 years later, the actors are seeking damages of more than £400 million from Paramount Pictures over the film's bedroom scene in which they both appeared naked. The lawsuit claims that the Hollywood studio sexually exploited them, distributed nude images of adolescent children, and they had suffered mental anguish for decades as a result. Paramount Pictures presents the Franco Zeffirelli production of Romeo and Juliet. They also claim that the director, Franco Zeffirelli, who died in 2019, insisted that they had to do a nude scene or the film would flop, despite earlier assurances that they would be allowed to wear flesh-coloured underwear. Their business manager is Tony Maranosi. The trust they had for him was betrayed. Certain angles that were shot from the skeleton crew that was supposed to be there indicate there might have been other cameras used, so there was definitely betrayal there. But in an interview in 2018, Olivia Hussey said the nudity was tasteful and needed for the film. As for the timing of this lawsuit, that's largely due to a Californian law which temporarily suspended the statute of limitations for claims of historical child sex abuse. And now to the local weather forecast. There will be sunny periods this afternoon, but mainly cloudy tonight with moderate east to northeasterly winds. And the outlook, more sunny periods in the next few days, but mainly cloudy with a few rain patches early next week. And currently at the observatory, the temperature is 21 degrees Celsius with the relative humidity now at 67%. And to end the news, the top stories once again. A lawmaker urges the government to spell out the details of the reopening of the border with the mainland this coming Sunday. And the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office says people will not have to do a PCR test at the border when quarantine-free travel to the mainland resumes on Sunday. The Housing Authority's Finance Committee recalls a drop in the consolidated surplus for this financial year. And US Republicans fail to elect a House Speaker for the second day on the trot. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. The Brew with Phil Whelan on Radio 3. I hate confrontation. It makes me uncomfortable. My brain goes hazy, racing when I get vulnerable. It's a lose lose situation. Communication. I wish I could just say it straight away. Oh, I hate being this way Learned it from such a young age My needs and wants ain't important anyway When you say something's wrong I just want to make it better Oh, 
with a people pleaser here on Radio 3. Good afternoon, 18 minutes past one. Shortly after that item in the news, we're going off to Verona to catch up with JC Viennes. This is once a month, wine, wine. And we'll be on Facebook Live as well, or certainly he will. If you've got any questions, find him there in about 1.30. Oh, 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 